All right, well, good morning. Uh, how y'all doing this morning? All right, very good. Good morning to those of you online. Hope everyone is doing well. If you, ha- if you have your copy of God's Word, please open it up, turn it on. We are in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, we're continuing this series simply called Whatever It Takes. And so uh, today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 looking in verses 1 uh, through 6. And over the past couple weeks, we've talked about several different guys, all right, that have done kind of whatever it takes. We talked about uh, John the Baptist uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about Stephen. We've talked about Paul. Last week, uh, Pastor talked a little bit about Jabez and the prayer that Jabez prayed. And so... Today, I just kind of wanted to jump in uh, with both feet and talk a little bit about Joshua because, you know, when we think about doing whatever it takes, we always think about action, right? We think about getting out there, doing something, and hustling, right? We got to take action. We have to do something. And when we think about the story of Joshua, what do you kind of always think about? What do you think about? When you think about just the story of Joshua, what's the first thing comes? What, what's the first thing that comes to you? Jericho, and you think about him walking around, and I think about that song, you know, when the walls come tumbling. Y'all know that song? Okay. Anyway, it's a great song. Anyway, it's a great song. But <clears throat> you think about Joshua and the children of Israel, and they're marching around there, the wall, and they go around the first day, they walk around one time, then the second day they walk around one time, and they do that for a week, and then on the seventh day, they march around seven times, and then they yell, and then all the walls of Jericho, they come tumbling down, and they take over the promised land, and uh, they begin to settle there where God has promised that they would be. But today... Um, I want to talk just a little bit uh, about another miracle that God does in the life of Joshua and in the life uh, of the children of Israel. And it is kind of a process. It, it is a process. And when you look at God and when you look at our lives, we see that God uh, goes through, God gives us and go, forces us to kind of go through processes and the definition of a process is this a systematic series of actions directed to some end a systematic series of actions directed to some end now for most of you here in your jobs you have a process do you not there is a process in your job if you want uh, money okay let's say you're going out on a, on a business trip and you need some petty cash, well, there is a process to go through and to receive that petty cash. You have to fill out a, a request. That request, you know, has to go through payment. Then they issue you a check. Then you have to go cash that check, whatever it is. Or you might have to go to somebody and say, hey, I need a certain amount. Or let's say you want to win a particular job. There is a process. Our judicial system, there is a process, okay? If you want to go to before a judge, you first must be arrested, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it works. Okay? If you want to go before a judge, you've got to be arrested. You're, not, you're shaking your head like, oh no, here we go. Okay? Or, you know, there is a process that you have to go through. There are many processes in life that we have to go through. And so um, 
I was talking with a guy uh, just a few weeks ago when we were talking about striper fishing. Okay, y'all with me on this? He's talking about striper fishing. And he asked me this question. He said, well, how do you fillet a striper? I said, well, it's just like any other pan fish. And I kind of started to explain the process. So if you don't know how to fillet a fish quickly, uh, I just went ahead and got on YouTube and showed you. But the way this guy does it is the exact same way that I do it, whether it's a striper, a bass, a crappie. But if you look here, he takes a fillet knife right up there above the, the, um, the gills. Okay, thank you. Okay, so he takes a fillet knife right up there above the gills, okay? And he moves that little dorsal fin up, all right? And he's gonna cut up towards the, uh, the gills, okay? So watch this, okay? Hit, hit the play button. Okay, so watch, he's gonna cut. He's gonna turn that knife just so, ever so slightly up towards the gills. Okay, you see that? Did y'all see that? See how he's doing that? Okay, and then, Okay, so he turns, he turns it up towards the gills, and then he kind of works it right on down there to the bone, okay, to the backbone, all right? Now, okay, and so then, see, he follows that backbone all the way down to the tail, but see, he doesn't cut off the tail, so he doesn't cut off, he doesn't go all the way through, he gets it down to the very end of the tail, and then he flops it over, right? Y'all with me on this? So now you have a fish that is still scaled, Okay, I don't know if you remember, but I can always remember the old timers, like my great-great-grandfather saying, hey, we gotta, we got to descale the fish. You need to have to sit there and scale. No way, man. We're not going to do that anymore, okay? We're just going straight for the meat. So then you flip that over, and then look at this electric knife here, okay? So then he just flips it over. He takes that knife, goes right down the skin, and bam, you got a fillet, all right? Now that process, okay, if you include his intro, that process... And he's teaching us how to do this, right? That process took all of 47 seconds. Now, if you are really good, you can process a fish, you know, both sides uh, easily in 45 seconds. All right? You just do it. And there is a process in filleting a fish. I think, and he should just do the other side, right? So there he goes again. See, look at that. He goes up. Turns, goes back down, following the backbone, almost to the tail, flips it over, right there, done. You have a fillet, all right? There you go. All right, that's how you fillet a fish. Real quick, easy. That's how you fillet a panfish, all right, to be specific. Any crappie or, or a bass or a striper or anything like that. And there is a process to doing that, okay? And... What is that process? Well, first of all, you got to have an electric knife, all right? You got to have a fish, okay? So you got to go out there and catch it. You got to be somewhere. Then you got to get your fish. You got to throw it out. And then you have to cut it. And you have to cut it the right way. There is a process. And process is important uh, and part of success. Whether you are filleting uh, a fish, it is a process. If you want to have uh, a good marriage, Guess what? That's going to take uh, a process. If you want to um, uh, do well in your job, you need to have, there is uh, a process. And following a process is not glamorous, right? Are you with me on that? Following a process, it is not glamorous 
at all. Uh, to some degree, it is almost just kind of boring. Y'all with me on this? Sometimes it's just, it's, it's kind uh, of boring. But Joshua and the Israelites, they go through a process. They go through a process. It's not a glamorous process. It's not particularly a fun process, but they go through step by step. This is what God wants us to do. Try not to get ahead of God. Try not to fall too far behind God, but rather just be right there with Him step in step. And so the children of Israel and Joshua, they come up, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan, and they see the Jordan, and it is an impossible impasse. They are sitting there looking at this massive river, okay? And they say, oh no, what do we do? And this is where we pick up the story. In Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. you got to be careful when you pronounce that word. From Shittim. And went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. Everyone say three days. Come on, let me hear you. Say three days. Okay, so after three days... The officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Everyone say, follow it. All right. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. When we look at this passage, we see three important thoughts or three important steps in overcoming foreseeable impasses. We as men in here, most of us, we follow God. And sometimes God brings us to a river, to an impassable, a foreseeable impasse. And we say, God, why have you brought me here? There's no way I can get across this river. There is no, I'm kind of stuck. And the children of Israel, they're stuck. They want to get over to the promised land. They know God has called them to go over to the promised land. But they look there and there's this massive river that they are going to have to cross. And they're looking around and they're going, you know what? We're kind of out here in the wilderness. There's not a ton of wood. And even if there is enough wood, there's about two million of us. There's no way we can build a bridge that's big enough to handle all the weight and all the people and all the carts and all of our, of, of our flocks and our sheep and our goats. I mean, there's just... We're looking at this thing, and this thing does not look possible. God has brought us this far. We've wandered around the desert for 40 years. And now he's brought us to the promised land. The promised land is right over there, right over there, on the other side of this river. We are so close, we can taste it, we can smell it, and we can't get there. And for us, a lot of times, God calls us to follow Him, and so we follow Him, and then He leads us to a river. He leads us to something that we see in front of us that we say, there is no way we can get across that. There's no way. Can't get across it. And then we turn and we look at God and we say, God, why did you bring me here? Why am I here right now? You told me I was going to the problem. Why am I here? 
There's a big river that I cannot cross. Why in the world did you lead me here? Didn't you know there was a bridge like 10 miles up the road? Why couldn't we go up there? Why are we here? And look at what God does in the children of Israel's life and in Joshua's life. There are three things that God does. There are three steps that God does in our lives when we come to those foreseeable impasses. When we look at it, we say, there is no way we can get across this river. I'm sure the children of Israel are sitting there going, man, how are we going to cross this thing? Three things. Number one, wait. Step one, thought one, wait. And waiting does not equate to doing nothing. Waiting does not equate to doing nothing. Sometimes we have to wait. In verse 1 it says, Early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, officers went throughout the camp. So the children of Israel, they show up and they wait for three days. They wait for three days. They got up early in the morning. They started towards there. And then when they got close enough, they stopped. Well, wait a minute. We, we got up at 6 this morning and we stopped traveling and it's only 10 a.m.? Why are we stopping? Wait a minute. Why are we... Why are we camping? What's going on? I just packed up shop. Now we're here just a few hours later. And now I have to set everything back up again. Why in the world are we waiting? Well, there are several reasons. Number one, during this time, when they see the river, it is during harvest season. And during harvest season, the river, the Jordan River, is at its highest so not only is it tough enough to cross, but now the river is at its highest. Not only was it impassable before, now it is impossible to pass over because the river has flooded and it has fanned out. And it is going to get really, really, really deep there in the middle. There's no way we can cross. There's no way any of us can touch the bottom of the river. It's too far. The Waters are rushing. And so now we have to stop and we have to wait. And so now they're sitting there and they're thinking, well, it's going to be several months. It might be even a year. Are we going to camp here and wait till a famine comes and a drought comes and the river dries up just enough so that we can cross? How long are we going to be here? Again, there's not an abundance of wood around. We can't build enough bridges. There's two, about two million of us. How in the world? Where is the out? Where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? And God has moved us to a place that looks blocked and we are forced in our lives to wait. We're forced in our, in our lives to wait. Uh, there are two types of people. That wait. There are passive waiters and there are expectant waiters. Okay? A passive waiter is a waiter that hopes something good will happen and sits around waiting to see if it does happen. And after a short time, they give up and they say, That's it, I've waited, and nothing's happened. That's a passive waiter. They say, Well, I'm just going to wait for something to happen. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait. 
And they might be patient. They might wait and wait and wait. But then eventually, they just get tired of waiting. Y'all with me on that? Sometimes you, you just, I'm tired of waiting. That is a passive waiter. But then there is an expectant waiter. There is somebody that waits with a, an expectancy. An expectant waiter is hopeful, believing the answer is just around the corner. Believing that the answer is just around the corner. The difference between the two different types of waiter, the passive waiter just hopes and waits. The expectant waiter hopes knowing that an answer is coming. They know an answer is coming. And more importantly, they know that the answer is in the Lord. It's not in man, it's not in invention, but rather their hope in waiting is in the Lord. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, who is our God? He is a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow, get this, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119, 114. You are my refuge and my shield. I put my hope in your word. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Corey Tim Boom said this, and I quote, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, just because we are forced to wait does not mean that we do nothing, right? For some of us, when we think wait, we think, well, I just got to sit here and I got to do nothing. What do we do when we wait on God? What do we do when we wait on God to make something happen? I mean, look, the children of Israel, they're close to the promised land. They just got to kind of be fit to be tied right now because they can smell it. They can see it. They can taste it as the wind blows that dust across the, the river. They, they can taste that dust and go, mm, that tastes like the promised land. It is so close. We have waited centuries. Our people have waited centuries to, to enter into this. What do we do while we are stuck here staring at a river waiting? What do you do? Three things. Number one, what do you do while you're waiting? First thing you need to do is you need to remember God's faithfulness. You need to remember God's faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Because the Lord's love, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Be reminded, hey, God is faithful. Remember, hey, God is faithful. Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. When we're waiting, we need to stop and take time to remember, hey, God has done some great stuff. Can you look in your life and see how God has worked things out for you? 
Can you? Can you look at your life and say, man, I was going through this tough time and I didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden God showed up and he did something. Now I'm here. What's going to happen? I need to be reminded of what God has done in the past. And sometimes we get so focused on the future that we forget what God has done in our lives in the past. And it is good for us to go back and to remember the great things God has done in our lives. It gives us encouragement. It gives us hope. It continues to give us patience. Micah 6.5 My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what uh, Balaam, the son of Boar, asked, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Later on, even later on in the in the history of the children of Israel, God says, hey, children of Israel, remember what I did back at the Jordan. Remember what I have done for you in the past. Take time to remember what God has done in the past, how he has been faithful. Remind yourself daily. Not only remind yourself, but it also helps to talk about it. How many of you are married in here? How many of y'all are married? I'm just going to ask y'all this question. Are there times in your marriage when you stand around or you sit around or you're driving and you say, hey, remember when God did fill in the blank? Y'all remember, have y'all ever done that? Has, any, has anyone done that? Raise your hand if you've done that. I've done that. My wife and I, we do that all the time. Hey, remember when? Remember when such and such happened. Remember when God pulled through. Remember how he got us here. Remember? I can go through my life and at times look at it and go, man, I remember when I was wondering, how in the world was this going to happen? And God came through. And God came through. Look back to the past. Take time. When you're standing there at the river going, how in the world am I going to get crossed? Take time to remember, hey, this is what happened in the past. I've crossed rivers like this before. This is not my first rodeo. God has pulled through before. I remember I've seen him do it before in the past. Second thing to do while you wait, I love this one, is rest. Second thing to do while you wait is rest. Take time to enjoy where you are right now. Think about it. The children of Israel, they're sitting there, and they're, they're at the river. If I'm, at the, if I'm sitting at a river, if I'm stuck at a river, I'm getting me a fishing pole. Are you with me? Yeah. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit down, I'm going to throw a hook in the water, and I'm going to take a nap. We need to take time to rest. God has brought us here to this point. We've hustled, we've traveled, we've gotten here, and now what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's take a nap. Take a break. Step back from it all. God has brought us here and said, wait. Well, then let's take time to rest and rejuvenate and prepare to move forward. We don't know when we're moving forward, so let's go ahead and rest now because we don't know how long we got to go once we cross this river. So let's just take a break. Take a rest. There is spiritual rest. Matthew 11, 20, 29. Jesus is talking. He says, take, upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
There is a spiritual rest. And then there's also a physical rest. Psalm 4.8, the peace in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. For you, O Lord, alone make me dwell in safety. God has stopped you and me at a particular place, at a particular time. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Take time to look at the scenery. Take time to rest physically. Take time to rest spiritually. The Israelites were camped there for three days. Get this. That's a three-day weekend. It's like, hey, guys, we've been traveling Monday through Thursday. It's going to be a long weekend. Woohoo! Right? Take off early Thursday. Get home. And then enjoy that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Philip, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. Anyway, this guy named Philip. He was a great Reformation theologian back in the, back in the days of old. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, bless you. He's a great Reformation theologian and a friend of uh, Martin Luther. And he said this to Martin Luther one day. He said, this day you and I will discuss the governance of the universe. To which Martin Luther looked at his friend and responded. And he said this, and I quote, This day, my friend, you and I will go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. It's pretty good, huh? This day, we're going to slow down. We're going to go fishing. We'll leave that to God. There's a time to rest. And God brings us to a place. He says, hey, listen, you're going to go over there. And we say, well, God, I want to go. And God says, well, let's just stop here and wait. Well, take, take time and, and rest. Remember what God has done in your heart and in your life and in your family's life. Remember how good He has been to you. And then take time and rest. And third, and finally, when you wait, continue to pray. Don't forget to pray. Don't forget to go before God and to constantly remind Him and to call out to Him and say, Hey, God, remember you called us over here to this promised land. Remember that promise. God, we, we desire to see that fulfilled. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Ian Bounds said this, It is hard to wait and press and pray and hear no voice, but stay till God answers. But stay until God answers. For some of you here in this room, you are waiting on God and praying. It might be for a wayward child to come home. It might be for a job opportunity. It might be for a family member. It might be for something that's going on in your business. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't, but you do. And, you're, and you are there. And God has called you and said, Hey, listen, the promised land is right over here. I'm calling you to go over here. But you are stuck at this river. This impasse that you just cannot quite go across. And this leads us to our second, our second step, and that is to follow. Number one, wait. And then the second step in the process is to follow. 
There's a time to wait and then there is a time to move. Let God lead because He knows the way. Look at what it says in verse 3. Give orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. And what does it say? And follow it. It doesn't say walk beside it. It doesn't say surround it. It says get behind it to follow it. And then verse 4 is real key. It says this. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. In other words, where we are going, you have never seen. You have no clue where you're going. Have you ever been like that? Oh, it's just right over there. Do you know where you're going? Nope. Have you ever been there before? Nope. Well, how do you know it's right over there? Huh? How do you know? And what does is, what is Joshua tell the people? He says, hey, get behind it. Follow the ark because you have no clue where you're going. So follow the ark. The ark is a representation of God's presence amongst the children of Israel. And so when they are following the ark, they are following God's presence. So when the ark goes before the children of Israel, guess what? It is God's presence going before them and leading them in the direction that they should go. So what does verse 3 say? Move out. In other words, everybody spread out and follow it. And then there's an instruction. Stay about 2,000 cubits behind the ark. 2,000 cubits translates roughly to about 800 yards. So stay a good distance away from the ark. About 800 yards. About eight football fields away from the, from the ark. At bare minimum. In other words, don't get ahead of it. Don't get beside it. Get behind it. 800 yards behind it. Isaiah 58, 11, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a, water, a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Too many times when God begins to move, we want to get out ahead of Him. We want to jump ahead of Him. And we don't allow Him to lead us in the direction we must go. It's like we see God going one way and then we just run past Him. Thinking, hey, we're just going to head straight. Or we think we see where we need to go. And we don't allow God to lead us. We need to allow God to lead us. Give Him some room. Let Him get out ahead of you. And clear the way and show you the way. Oswald Chambers said this, Never run before God's guidance. If there is the slightest doubt, then He is not guiding. Whenever there is doubt, then don't. Whenever there is doubt, then don't. If you can't figure it out, if you don't know, is God leading here? Is God leading? Well, let me stop. Let me make sure. Where is God? Where is He leading me? Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And what does it say? Follow Me. Not walk beside Me, not walk ahead of Me, but get behind Me. 1 Peter 2, 21. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might what follow in His footsteps. 
We are to follow. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They don't walk beside me. They don't get ahead of me. They follow me. I lead them. I guide them. Why and how? Because he is ahead of them. S.I. McClellan, in his book called None of These Diseases, tells a story of a young woman who wanted to go to a college, but her heart sank when she read a question on the college application that uh, said this and asked this question, are you a leader? Now, this young lady, being honest and also knowing her answer and wanting to be truthful, she wrote, no, I do not want to be a leader. Or, no, I am not a leader. I'm, I'm just, I'm not a leader. And, of course, she was expecting the worst after she completed the college application and submitted it. And to her surprise, she received a letter from the college. And the letter said this, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative they have at least one follower. Gentlemen, the world is looking for leaders. Our families are looking for leaders. Our country is looking for leaders. Our job is always looking for the next big, good leader. But we, need, but we leaders need to be willing to follow. And we need to be willing to follow Jesus Christ. And we need to follow His direction. The third and final step is this. We need to prepare our hearts for what's to come. We need to prepare our hearts for what is to come. In verse 5, it says this. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The Lord will do amazing things among you. We need to wait on God. We need to follow God when He moves. But then third and final, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts What does Joshua tell the people? Consecrate yourselves. What does that word consecrate mean? It simply means to declare or make sacred, to set apart or to dedicate. In other words, to make holy. When we say, hey, to make something holy, we are setting it apart. Joshua says, hey, listen, you need to set yourselves apart. Okay? You need to become holy. You are different. Gentlemen, when God does something great in your life, it is Him that should get the credit. And it is us that should also grow closer to Him. Look at this. It says, For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. In short, Get right with God because He is going to be with you. Remember, He's leading you. And so He is going to be with you. He is going to lead you. He is going to provide a way for you. And at the end of the day, He is going to get all the credit. Is He not? He is going to get all the credit. Because at the end of the day, all you can do is turn and look and say, Man, how great are you, God? There was no way we could cross this river. There was no way... We could get to the promised land. 
And yet, you showed up and great and mighty things happened that only you could do. That only you could do. Psalm 126, verse 2 and 3. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they will say among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. Luke 1.49 For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Joel 2.21 Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Jeremiah 10.6 There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name. Psalm 136.4 To him who is alone does great wonders, for His loving kindness is everlasting. John Piper said this, It is about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. God made man small and the universe big to say something about Himself. God made man small and the universe big to say something about Himself. We serve a great God. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that will lead us to a river. And we look at it and say, there's no way we can get across it. And he just stands back and says, hey, y'all watch this. And he does something great and awesome and mighty. You might be at a river. You might be at a foreseeable impasse that there is no way you can cross it. God has a plan. God has a way for you to get across. But you just got to wait. You just got to follow. And you have to prepare yourself. You need to get right with God. And so that's just kind of the encouraging word uh, I have for you today. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. Thank you that we could come here, that we could worship you by opening up your word. God, I pray that we would apply these things to our lives. And God... Oh, I've seen these things in my life. I've seen these things in my life. So God, I pray that you would show these same principles to men here in this room. Father, so that we might wait. Father, so that we might follow. And that we might prepare our hearts for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Be with us as we go our separate ways today. Make our hands productive wherever we may be in our hearts, in our lives. Be lights in this dark world. We ask these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Y'all have a great day. Thanks. John Mark will be here next week.